2. And again, thank you for being here. Romans chapter 2. We're going to continue to talk about a merciful heart. Amen. A merciful heart. And what we learn from Jesus, and then of course we see, as is the case with so many things that he taught us, Jesus would introduce something in his earthly ministry, uh, and then it would be explained further and expounded upon uh, deeper um, in uh, you know, the, the epistles, in other words, the rest of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus even said, I've still got so many more things to teach you, but you, you, know, you can't bear them right now, but the Holy Spirit, when he comes, um, he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. And so... Um, certainly we, we see all this teaching began with Jesus, but it continues throughout the New Testament. And specifically what we're talking about now is um, faith will flourish in a merciful heart. Amen. Um, we started this series with the title, Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart, and, and how important it is that we have the right understanding to go along with the measure of faith that Father has given to us. But then we also see that the condition of our heart uh, is impacted uh, by things like unforgiveness. Uh, for, for example, faith will not work in a heart filled with unforgiveness. And every time Jesus talked to us about prayer and or faith, he included in that uh, important instructions and even warnings uh, about our willingness and readiness to forgive. And what you have to understand is that the devil understands that also, and that's why he is constantly trying to uh, use situations and circumstances in your life uh, to, to get um, unforgiveness and judgment and, and things of that nature uh, working in your heart because if he can establish a stronghold of those things in your heart, then he's going to limit, if not uh, stop altogether, your faith's ability to work um, on your behalf. And so Jesus to told us that whatever measurement we use in judging other people is the same measurement that will be used in in, when we're judged ourselves. Um, and in the course of our study, you know, we, we tend to think that, um, because after all, people who are very close to us, we tend to let more slide. You know, somebody that we, we love, you ever said that, you know, I'm going to let that one slide, you know, because again, somebody that you love, you're, you, you, you show them, tend, tend to show somebody that's very close to you, important to you, um, you tend to show them more mercy than somebody on the opposite end of that spectrum that you have a hard time getting along with, rubs you the wrong way, um, cheers for a different football team than you cheer for, um, you know, uh, votes for different politicians than you vote for, whatever. Uh, we tend to, to, to have less patience and more judgment um, for, uh, for those folks. And, and so don't be deceived, my friend. Uh, the stick that God's going to use to judge you is not the one you use to judge uh, your grandchildren. It's going to be the one that you use <laughs> to judge uh, that person uh, in your life that maybe you struggle uh, to get along with. And so this is what he says in Romans uh, chapter 2. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. He goes on to talk about, you know, despising, which means to treat lightly in verse 4, the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God is what leads um, a man or a woman to uh, repentance, okay? And, and so the key word that we've gone back to now multiple times is that word inexcusable, and that means you've placed yourself in a position that cannot be defended or cannot be shown mercy, now, we were uh, in Ephesians 2 during a discipleship class this evening, and, and one of the things that we see there is that our God is rich in mercy. 
he, I mean, he just exudes mercy. He enjoys showing mercy to people, okay? And he enjoys showing mercy to you. He wants to be merciful to us. He doesn't want us to be judged. But you have an enemy who does want you to be judged. You have an enemy who's constantly accusing you, trying to get you judged. I think that's one reason why nobody likes a tattletale. You know, because the devil's a tattletale. He, he, he's constantly telling on you, right? Not that God doesn't know already, right? But he's constantly accusing you. And I don't know where that tattletale business came from. But anyway, uh, he, he's constantly accusing you. God, did you see that? Did you hear what they said? Did you see what they did, right? Now, God's wanting to show you mercy. But if you refuse to show other people mercy, you put yourself in an inexcusable position where, where you can't be defended, Okay, but if you do choose to show mercy and, and to not be judgmental towards other people, then you put yourself in a position where God can show you mercy. So I'm not going to review it all, but last week we said grace and mercy uh, are not the same, but, but they're related because grace is when God gives you things you don't deserve. Mercy is when He doesn't give you things you do deserve. And we can increase in both grace and mercy. The Bible says God gives more grace, and He gives more grace to the humble. So the more humble you are, the more grace you have to work with in your life, the more grace you benefit from and experience in your life. The way you increase in more mercy, okay, is by extending mercy to other people, by showing mercy to other people. If you need mercy, and, and you know, word to the wise, you need it. Don't think you don't, okay? If you need mercy, the way to have more and more and more mercy in your life is to show more and more mercy to other people. Now, go with me to uh, the book of James, uh, James chapter 2, and there are some things that are mentioned here that I'm intentionally not going to uh, go into a deep explanation of, and, and, and that's just because there's a target that I'm trying to get to tonight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title of the, of the sermon and kind of commit myself to it because I really feel like it's what the Holy Spirit's breathing on for us tonight. So the title of the sermon tonight is Extreme Mercy. Extreme Mercy. Amen. But before we really delve any further into that, let's um, bring these verses up onto the table of our study, okay? So let's begin at verse, um, and really we can start at verse 1, but for now let's start at verse 8, James 2 and 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. So do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These, the two commandments that Jesus gave are what I call the love commands, what are referred to as the love commands. This is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then in John 13, Jesus gave us one more. 1334, he said for us to love others as he's loved, as he loves us. And of course, we can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, in us pouring out the love of God in our heart, which means we have the ability to not just love somebody as we love ourselves, but to literally love somebody with the love of Jesus. And so he says, if you do this, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, showing partiality is something that he explains in verses 1 through 7, which is, is basically playing favorites, where you would extend uh, mercy and grace and favor to one person, 
maybe because they can do something for you, maybe because they've got a lot of money, maybe because they're in a high position or what have you, but then you have little to nothing for someone who doesn't seem to have the capacity to benefit you in some way. And James said this was playing out in some of the churches where a wealthy man would come in and he would be given a prominent seat up front and a, 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 a man struggling in poverty or maybe didn't have on the nice clothes, maybe needed a shower or whatever, they would put him somewhere in the back in, in, in the corner or make him stand. And, and this is judging. This, this is forming and expressing an opinion and carrying it out based upon um, what you do for one and refuse to do for another. And so notice, he says, if you show partiality, which again, uh, judge, he says, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet, he's, now he's talking about the law of Moses. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you commit adultery, but... Uh, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. All right, so let, let's stop right here. I, I don't want to go too far down this road, but people who believe that they can make themselves right before God in the eyes of God by their own good behavior fail to factor in that God doesn't grade on the curve when it comes to self-righteousness. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. So you either keep all the law or you keep none of the law because if you break one, as far as you establishing yourself right before God in the eyes of God, because he says if you break one of the commandments, you're guilty of breaking them all. It's, it's, it's 100% or nothing, okay, as far as you being right before God in the eyes of God based upon your own good behavior. But now listen, this is where I wanted to get to, verse 12. So speak and so do. He's talking about how you speak to and about other people and how you treat and respond, what you do towards and concerning other people. He said, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Amen. All right. Now, when I said there's some certain things, we could spend two sermons on the law of liberty. But basically what he's talking about here is, is, is the grace that God has given to us and shown to all men in the New Testament. This law of liberty where God has Jesus through, God through Jesus has made us free. And we're, we're free from sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin um, and because of the gift that God has given to us. But notice now, he's saying that we should speak to and about other people especially behind their back. Come on now, right? How you talk about somebody behind their back. See, we want to be judged by, by what we say to people's faces, right? <laughs> Instead of what we say when behind their back. God knows. Listen to me, all right? But he's saying that when it comes to judging, what we say about how we speak, the attitude that we have, how we respond, what we do, he said we should do that as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Why should we do that as those who will be judged by the law of liberty? Because however we judge other people is how we will be judged. And trust me, you do not want to be judged according to the standard of the Old Testament. You want to be judged according to the law of the liberty of the New Testament. So if you want to be judged by the law of liberty of the New Testament, then that's how you should speak to, treat, judge, consider, talk about, respond to other people as you would like to be judged. Now this next verse, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy... To the one who has shown no mercy. See, again, it's inexcusable. Now, let me, let me say something here that I know some, 
some people maybe have a hard time with, and I'm, I'm not trying to hammer you, I'm trying to help you, okay? James is not talking to a bunch of Old Testament folks. This is written to born-again believers. James is saying, by the Holy Spirit of God, you will be judged without mercy if you judge other people without mercy. Again, is it not what Jesus said? Whatever stick you use to judge other people is the same stick God will use to judge you. So if you have no mercy for other people, you have put yourself in an indefensible, inexcusable position where as much as God wants to show mercy to you, you have tied his hands and prevented him from doing it. Now, verse 13, though, is one of those verses that, that is strong in both directions. It's strong on the, for judgment is without mercy to those, to the one who has shown no mercy, but then he finishes with this. Mercy triumphs, I love the King James Version here, mercy rejoices over judgment or against judgment. Amen. It, it wins out. It, it, it is a trump card, if you will, um, against judgment. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever been pulled over by a state trooper or a police officer, and they had you dead to rights, I mean, you were, you were going over the speed limit, you, you uh, blew through the red light, you uh, rolled through the stop sign, or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and they were polite to you and said, look, just don't let it happen again, be safe out there. And let you off with a warning. See, you have had mercy rejoice against judgment. You, right? Isn't that a beautiful thing, right? When you deserved it, but they, they showed you mercy. They, 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 uh, um, they, they let you uh, go without, um, you know, a ticket or some ding on your driving record or having to pay some. I don't even know. Somebody said a speeding ticket now is like two or $300. I'm, I, I don't know, you know. So, again, something nobody wants to experience in life. So, I, that's a simple, simple way of, you know, where you deserved uh, a ticket, you deserved uh, the consequences of your choices and actions, but mercy triumphed over that. Mercy uh, rejoiced over that. Amen. And so, think about it this way. As much as you enjoy receiving mercy, guess what? The, the people that you show mercy to, amen, enjoy it as well. And so how do we uh, rise above? How are we victorious over judgment? It's by showing mercy. And, and if you want to receive mercy, then you absolutely have to show mercy. Amen. Hold on just a second. I'm so blessed and so healed. Really, I'm, I've been saying that by faith, but I, I really am. I feel great. Just got a little tickle still in my throat. All right, now, let's go, if, if you will, uh, with me to, um, well, why don't you turn uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 13. You turn there, and, uh, and I, I want to talk to you uh, just a little bit, and we'll set this verse up, okay? Um, <clears throat> we, we see... In um, 1 Samuel 16, now you're going to 13, but we're, we're going we're gonna to see the answer uh, to, to what God says in 1 Samuel 13 in 1 Samuel 16. And I guess I'm probably going about this the hard way, but we, we've already looked at 1 Samuel 16 last week. And what we see in 1 Samuel 16 is when God sent um, the prophet Samuel to Jesse's house to select a new king uh, over Israel. 
And he, he, he specifically told Samuel, though, God told Samuel, he said, um, I do not look on the outward appearance, but he does what? He looks on the heart. He looks on the heart. And, and so he told Samuel, he said, look, don't, don't be swayed by, by how, how they look because uh, Jesse had some tall, strapping, fine-looking, talented, connected, uh, influential, well-dressed sons that you would think would be a shoe-in for the king, but they were not. It was actually the run of the litter. Uh, he, he wasn't even invited to uh, the uh, meet and greet, okay? He was out there taking care of the sheep, right? Uh, little boy, uh, David, um, and yet he was the one that God selected um, uh, to be king over uh, Israel, right? And so what we know from this, again, is that God looks on the heart. Now, we've been in a study on Sunday, and I just want to bring this up because in Galatians 4, you stay in 1, Corinthians, uh, you stay in 1 Samuel 13, but in Galatians 4, we see that an heir of God can actually live like a slave as long as he or she thinks like a child. So if someone's living like a slave, again, think about it now. You, you see this person and, and, and they are living far beneath, uh, you know, uh, you look on and you say, man, that, that person doesn't look like a king. They don't look like a ruler. They, they don't look like an heir. They, their life is more reflective of Again, outwardly, that of a slave instead of their true identity, their true nature, which is, again, an heir of God and ruler over, um, you know, all the works of God's hands. So I'm going to say it again. Um, an heir of God will live like a slave as long as he or she thinks like a child. Now, I'm bringing that up again, one, because we need to be reminded of it, but number two, I'm just trying to show you that, that again, God looks on the heart. We tend to look on the outward appearance of things and judge based upon, you know, how somebody's dressed or how somebody may speak or, or even like the mistakes that they may be making still or whatever and think, well, there's no way that person's saved. Man, again, see, you just, you just judged Right, you just made a judgment call. Um, I have, I've, I've been preaching for a long, long time, and I receive a lot of feedback, and I appreciate that. I, I love it. I enjoy it. I receive a lot of feedback um, from the sermons that I preach, but I don't exaggerate it. But I'm not sure that I have ever received more feedback from a sermon series than this one right here. Um, and I have a lot, a lot of people, a lot of godly people, a lot of God-loving people who are calling me and saying, thank you, Pastor Mark, because I've had a judging other people problem for a long time, and I didn't know that I did. I did their eyes are being opened to it, okay? And, and so I, I appreciate that feedback. And so one individual has given me some feedback on this, and, um, and, 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 he, and one friend was talking about a mutual friend, and he said, I don't think he's saved. And he goes, well, I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that he's saved. I've, I've talked to him about that. I know that he's saved. He said, well, based on what I see him do and how I hear him talk, I, I don't think he's saved. Now, listen to me, please. I, I'm not giving anybody an excuse for talking ugly or behaving incorrectly. But what somebody does cannot reveal what's in their heart he's clearly saying here that you can be an heir of god ruler over the whole enchilada but live like a slave instead of the lord and master you truly are as long as you think like a child 
But if you just look at somebody's living conditions, if you just look at, at, at their behavior and their outward appearance, and maybe they're still a little rough around the edges, you know, um, don't judge. <laughs> you don't have to judge. You're not the judge. And even if you were the judge, it ain't judgment day. You know, I, I, I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, he's just a little rough around the edges. You know, for someone's abrasive personality or for somebody still salting their language with four-letter words and, and they're a born-again believer. And, and, you know, I understand rough around the edges, but, you know, I mean, if you're still rough around the edges 20 years later, maybe you need to let God knock some of them rough edges off of you. But still, that doesn't mean that you're not a born-again man or a woman. I hope I'm not frustrating you with this, but I'm just trying to help you see some things here, okay? So discipleship and spiritual growth are about your speaking and doing outwardly coming into alignment with who God made you inwardly for, for your outward walk to reflect the inward reality of the new birth. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 13. So what we see, of course, is that King Saul, Saul was king over Israel, but but he refused to, you know, follow God's instructions and do what God said. And so this is what he says. Let's, let's just go verse uh, 13 and 14. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So notice what God was wanting to do for Saul. He was wanting to set him up. Forever, he was wanting the descendants of Saul to sit on the throne over Israel, right? From now on. That was what God wanted to do, but notice Saul would not cooperate. So listen, but now, verse 14, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. If you underline things in your Bible, I'd recommend you underline that phrase right there. The Lord has sought for himself a a man after his own heart. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me go ahead and say it, all right? Father is still looking for men and women after his own heart. The Lord has sought for a himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So this, is, of course, is when the throne was taken away from Saul. Verse 13, verse 16 is when Samuel goes to, uh, verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16 is when Samuel goes to Jesse's house and, uh, and anoints David. So we know that, of course, by what God said here is that David must have been a man after his own heart. And, of course, we see that's the case. Um, Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 it's where we see uh, and have the New Testament record of all this transpiring. And Acts 13 and 22 says this, And when he had removed him, talking about God removing Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony. God testifying, God gave testimony of David and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do most of what I ask him to do. Is that what it said? Who will do all my will. Now, I know you probably got it, but let me just point it out to you because it's so, so very important. We see that the Lord sought 
Sought means to seek, to look for. The Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart. He then said, I have found David. So notice God seeking in one verse. In another verse, we see that he found what he was looking for or who he was looking for. He says, I sought for myself a man after my own heart and I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I may be stating the obvious, but I think what we can conclude from this is that a man after God's own heart is apparently a rare thing and somewhat hard to find. Are you seeing me? In other words, God is, God is saying, I, I'm, I'm, I am looking for a man after my own heart. You don't look for something that's just right there obvious, you know. If, if you've got 500,000 men after God's own heart, then he's got to figure out which one of the men after his own heart is going to be king. The, the, the one qualification that God was looking for was a rare... Think about it now for a minute. He had to go to a child to find this. Are, are, you, are you see what I'm saying? In other words, when we think of all the qualifications that would make for a good ruler, you know... Um, you, first of all, you think about their, their presence, their ability, their intelligence, their leadership qualities, all of these things. All that's really, really, really important, okay? But for God, I'm not saying that those things didn't matter to God, but God knew that if he could find a man after his own heart, he could teach him what he needed to know. He could show him, you follow what I'm saying? <clears throat> Let's look at this verse, Proverbs 20 and verse 6, Amen. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6, it's, it's one of those verses that every time I cycle through uh, the book of Proverbs, and by the way, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, 31 days at, you know, at the most in any month, um, why don't you make it uh, just uh, a non-negotiable habit in your life that whatever day of the week it is, you read that, um, whatever day of the month rather it is, you read that proverb. Um, I don't know how many times I've read through the book of Proverbs and I'm still seeing stuff in there that I've never seen before. But every time I come to this one, man, I don't know, just this, this verse in, in, on, on the 20th day of every month, right? <laughs> verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful man? I go back to uh, my days in business in the cabinet shop, you know, and you start interviewing folks, you're trying to hire some more people, you know. Everybody comes in with their resume. Everybody comes in talking about their experience. Everybody talking about what they do, what they know how to do, how quick they can do it, how, how efficient they can do it, right? I, I'm not saying that's, that's wrong or, or a bad thing, but notice, what are they doing? Each man's proclaiming his own goodness, right? We got any, we got any people in the room that are responsible for hiring folks? I mean, we got, we got some businessmen in the room, you know what I'm saying? You know? So, boy, they come in, they, they, they talk a good game. I found out real quick, it's a whole lot easier to talk cabinets than it was to do cabinets. Amen. And I'm not trying to diss any, uh, you know, area of employment, but, uh, the, the construction trades tend to attract, uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, you know what I'm saying, praise God. People that um, work when they want to work and when they need to work and then they go missing for a while 
until they need to work again. Amen. And um, so most men will proclaim each his own goodness. But who can find a faithful man? A faithful man. Again, a rare thing and hard to find. A rare thing and hard to find. A faithful man and kind of crisscrossing back and forth between what we're learning on Wednesday night and what we're learning on Sunday mornings. When, you, when you're reading the Word, when you come across the word faithful, and you'll find faithful a lot in the Bible, that word faithful also means is synonymous with trustworthy. And someone who is trustworthy is someone who is faithful. Someone who is faithful is someone who is trustworthy. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And as the Lord revealed that to me some months ago, now as I read through the scriptures, every time I come across either the word faithful or trustworthy, I remember that they're basically the same word. So a faithful man is a trustworthy man, someone who can what? Be depended upon. Now, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Because obviously this is something that's very important to God. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Now, I'll tell you what I thought it meant for a long time in my walk with God. As a young man, you, know, you hear sermons on this, you, you come across these statements in the Bible about a man after God's own heart. And I don't know, is it, is it, I don't think it's just me, but is it just me or does that do something for you? you know, is it something in you say, man, I want to be a man after God's own heart. I want to be like that, okay? Again, because it was put in us to be men and women after God's own heart. So for years, I operated with the idea that a man after God's own heart is someone who seeks to please the heart of God. And that's, that, is, that is correct. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that's wrong. That is right. But I don't think that's really what this verse is exactly or specifically speaking about. Okay? In other words, this would be an accurate way of looking at it, but I think it means more than just someone who seeks to please God or seek to please the heart of God. A man after God's own heart is a man who strives to have a heart like God's heart. Think of it as that word after. Let me, let me, let me tell you how we would say it. We would say it, someone who is taking after God's heart. Okay. Anybody ever told you you take after your mama? <laughs> Anybody ever told you you take after like you take after your granddaddy? That's been one of the fun things, uh, lots of fun things having grandbabies, right? But that's one of the things that that we do, right? Samuel David loves to sleep with his with his hands over his head. Okay, guess who he takes after? Uh, John Mark. When John Mark was a baby, he slept with his with his hands over his head. You know, Pam be trying when he's a baby, trying to get him all covered up and and all that stuff, man, it don't matter. You can wrap him up as tight as you wanted to. He's going to get them arms out of that blanket and get them over his head. And, and the only other person in our family so far that's done that is Samuel David. And so we say he's taken after John Mark. See? He's doing something like John Mark did that was unique and specific 
to, to John Mark. It's not something that everybody does, but it's, it's something that John Mark does. And so now uh, his uh, second nephew, Samuel David, is, is, is taking after him, right? So when we say that David was a man after God's own heart, it's not just that he, certainly David wanted to please God, and, and he did please God, but it means more than that. It, it means that he took after God. Now, let's look at the big picture for a minute. We were created in the image and likeness of God, right? Am I right about this? Genesis tells us this, Genesis 1.26, Genesis 1.28. You and me, we were created in the image and likeness of God. Meaning what? Meaning we were created to look like God looks, and we were created to function the way He functions. Okay? So we were created in the image and likeness of God. Father wants us to have the heart to go with the image. Right? It's not just enough for us to look like God but not have a heart like God. Are you seeing this? Let me say it another way. For the interior to line up with the exterior. Now, one of the brothers asked me, because we mentioned some of this last week, and, and one of the brothers asked me after, after um, service, you know, what, what does that mean? And, and uh, I appreciate you being back tonight to hear more about it, okay? We're talking ultimately now about showing mercy because one of the things that we know about God again Ephesians 2 he's rich in mercy every morning his mercy is new in other words if if you want to be a man or a woman who takes after God's own heart then start working on your mercy because God's heart is a merciful heart and if you're going to have a heart taken after God then you're going to have to let him help you be a merciful man or woman or have a merciful heart so obviously that, that's where we are. But let me, let me just, and I'm just going to mention this because sometimes to really catch hold of something, you, you need to step onto another subject for a minute and look at it from a different perspective. So here's another one. Are you ready? God has a generous heart. See, if you're going to be a, a man or a woman who takes after God, you're going to have to start being a little more generous and then a little more generous still. And then push it a little further and even be more generous than that. In other words, are you, are you, are you following what I'm saying? It, it, to, to develop this thing, it, it doesn't come, generosity doesn't come natural to us, if you hadn't figured this out by now. Selfishness, stinginess, stiffen the waiter because they didn't fill your tea glass up fast enough is what comes natural to us, okay? You know, plant your corn early, there's your tip, big boy. Bring me cold fries again, right? See, see that's, that's not generous. It's not generous. You say, well, well, um, well, you know, I tip good service, right? So it seems like Jesus said something like this. If if you're only good to people who are good to you, what have you done more than anybody else? Are you you following what I'm saying here? He says, if you want to be like Father God, you be merciful to people who are good to you and people who are not. See, I committed myself to this title, and now we're out of time. Praise God. So I might have to change the title, all right? But when the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart, I can just picture Father God up in heaven, kind of like what we do with with the grandbabies, right? Um, Look, look, he's putting his hands over his head. He's taking after John Mark. 
right? Okay. So when uh, David had Saul dead to rights, but he showed him mercy instead of judgment. His heart smote him just because he cut part of his edge of his garment off to show him that I had you in my hands, big boy, right? But the Bible says his heart smote him. He, he apologized. He repented for God. He said, I shouldn't have even done that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have been braggadocious and, 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 and all like that, right? See, God's up in heaven going, man, look at that. He's taken after me. He, he, he's, that, that's, that's the kind of heart I have. See, he's a man after God's own heart, okay? All right, stand with me. Stand with me. Now, we're going to take all of this and we're going to drag it through the blood of Jesus into the New Testament next Wednesday, all right? But Jesus, and it's some of the more challenging things that Jesus ever said, right? Turn the other cheek. Are you kidding me? I have read, like you, I've read those verses for years, and I read them, and I'm like, surely there's got to be some meaning here. Surely there's got to be something here, right? And the Holy Spirit, after reading through that again and again and again, the Holy Spirit said two words to me that put the whole thing, I think, in the perspective that we were meant to understand it in. Extreme mercy. That's what that is, right? I mean, somebody done stole your coat, and you're going to hunt them down. And give them your sweater. That's extreme mercy right there, my friend. That's not just mercy. See, mercy is, ah, uh, I got another coat. Should have known better than to leave it on the back of my chair when I went to the bathroom. You know? so, no, no, see, that, that might be mercy. Extreme mercy is, man, that person needed a coat so bad that they stole mine. Maybe they need a sweater, too. See, that's extreme mercy right there, okay? All right, so I'm preaching, I'm preaching the, the heart of my sermon next Wednesday, but that's okay. We, you can know where to say amen when I get there, okay? Why would we ever show anybody extreme mercy? Because if you want to receive some extreme mercy, if you need some extreme mercy, Amen. Jesus was showing us, right? He was showing us. They cuss you out, you bless them. Amen. They spitefully use you and take advantage of you, you pray for them. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. We want to be men and women after your own heart. Lord, we want to take after you because that's something you would do, Father. Somebody, somebody steal your coat and you give them a sweater just to show them how much you love them and that you're not mad at them and you want good for them and that they can't ever get ahead doing that, trying to take advantage of you, Lord. They, they're not ever going to win that way. Thank you for showing us, Lord. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for this time together tonight. Father, thank you so much for, for bringing this to our attention. Father, that we are um, we, we're, we're coming out of this whole denial thing about our judgment problem, Lord, and, we're, and we're, we're bringing it before you, and you're helping us with it, and you're teaching us how to be merciful, Lord. And we thank you for it. Father, teach us individually what it means to take after your own heart, Lord, to, to be like you, to have a heart like you. Only, only you can do that in us, Father, and, and, 
And Lord, I think we've got to at least be, we've got we to gotta be willing to be willing at least, if not willing, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us with that, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, your love, thank you so much for being here tonight. It means so much to me uh, for, you to, for you to come, and I believe it touches our Father's heart, amen. Have a great rest of your evening. I'll see some of you in the morning, some of you on Sunday. Praise God. You be blessed.